Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the International Biodynamic Guild podcast. I'm your host, Will Bratton, and today we are joined by Sherry Wildfier. Sherry has been the editor of the Stella Natura Biodynamic Planting Calendar since 1978 and is a long-term co-worker at the Camp uh, Hill Village in Kimberton, Pennsylvania. She's an adult educator and an active member of the Anthroposophical Society and its agriculture section. Sherry, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So, um... How did you find this calendar work? How and when? Uh, I became interested in the work of Rudolf Steiner in anthroposophy when I was a freshman in college. I met this through a fellow student, and I then became aware of biodynamic agriculture, and although I was from the suburbs on Long Island and had no contact with agriculture whatsoever, it occurred to me that that might be something for me. So I was looking for a way to learn about biodynamics and didn't find anything in America, actually, besides a dairy farm in the Midwest, but I knew I wasn't looking to be a dairy farmer. I wanted to be a gardener. So I contacted the Goetheanum, which is the center of the Anthroposophical Society in Switzerland, and I knew they had a garden, and I asked, could I come and work in the garden there? And they said, well, we don't teach biodynamics, but you're welcome to come and work here. So I did. And one of my jobs was to replicate an experiment by Maria Thun, who was a German biodynamic farmer and vegetable grower. And she had discovered a connection between the planting times of the the crops and the moon in the different constellations, and they wanted to check it out at the Goetheanum. So even though I didn't know anything about much at that point, I could follow instructions, and so I was the one who carried out the experiment. And basically, at the end of the season... I was convinced by the plants that I had been tending all summer that this was actually very real, that it had an effect. And then there were differences amongst the plants and I knew what I had done. And so it, it, uh, that's how I got introduced. That's quite an introduction. Uh, is there anything in particular that uh, fascinates you about all the work? Um, well, it has, for me, the, the most important thing is the connection between the earth and the living things on earth and the cosmos, the, the, these, um, mysterious lights in the sky that, that have these intricate and regular rhythms uh yeah that we're connected to that 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 is that that connection can be manifest and worked with um that does fascinate me it seems very important 
Well, you've been uh, keeping the calendar now for over 40 years. Uh, how has this how has this work changed your life? Well, it gave me a big job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So when I came back to America, I just made um, I made a calendar for myself. I it was round and pie shaped, and I did it with colored pencils and had little pictures of carrots and tomatoes and things. And I sent it to my sister and to a priest of the Christian community who I knew would be interested. And I just did it for fun. And then at a certain point, my husband said, you know, you put so much work into this thing, you might as well publish it. So um, we found someone who would back it and we did it. So it has changed my life certainly for the better. And when I ended up having four children um, and couldn't garden full time, I uh, was very grateful to the calendar as a way of staying connected to agriculture. Mm. Well, so I have uh, in front of me, I've got six different 2021 calendars. Of course, I have the Stella Natura. I've got uh, Maria Tunes. I have the Celestial Planting, uh, Brian Keats, Anapodian, the South African calendar, and the uh, Calendario Biodinamico from Argentina, which we use down uh, on my farm in Uruguay. And they all have their own personalities and character and, and uh, unique uh, variants, but but uh, I can't say any of one any of them have as much personality as the Stella Natura because you hand write everything. <laughs> <laughs> Every. <laughs> I'm probably the most old fashioned of all the calendar people. Um, yeah, people have always said, "Oh, you should find a computer program," but actually, I like doing it. I like striving eternally for the perfect um, glyph for each of the planets and, and zodiac constellations. It's, it becomes a, a continual artistic experience for me. Beautiful. So in reading Steiner, I, and, and I'm sure you'll, you'll help me with this. What I think he says at one point is that none of this is rules-based. But when I look across these calendars, it, they all seem to be rules-based. So could you speak to that? I'd be glad to. Um, I'm, let me just pull a calendar off the wall. But, um, I put it right in the beginning of my calendar just to say, don't take this as rules because that would be terrible. Uh, here we go. This calendar is meant to be used with common sense and an eye to the weather. Um, it's meant to be a help to people that, that just in the same way that you would not plant in the pouring rain, mm -hmm. you wouldn't plant on a day when you know that the cosmic influences are detrimental to mm -hmm. the plants that will grow from those seeds why would you do that so it's not a rule it just it's common sense you would be aware of what the influences are and at the end of my long introduction to all the different five lunar rhythms that I are on the charts I just asked the obvious question can you use all these at the same time and the answer is no 
you can't because they're not all in sync with each other. And so you have to find your own relation to these rhythms. And some people feel very connected to the phases of the moon and they work with the new moon and the full moon. And that's their way of connecting to the cosmos. Other people feel very connected to the moon's passing through the constellations of the zodiac and that's their connection it's you you find your own relationship so i don't see it as rules but as yeah it's relational and okay. it's awareness of what are the influences which are very complex now speaking of the the zodiac something else that i i think i may you know, Red and Steiner's that that the zodiac uh, doesn't is as he put it. I thought that it doesn't speak to the plants, um, but to animals and humans. But again, there's in these calendars, there's very much a, a zodiacal component. Can you speak to that? I'll try. Um, <laughs> so the the part that relates to the zodiac is the moon's passage through the constellations of the Zodiac. And I'm just going to stick in here something just for whoever Please. is listening to this, because most people that I have met, certainly including myself when I first got into this, had no idea that whereas the we all know that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, most of us don't know that all the planets, including the sun and the moon, are gradually moving from west to east along the, the ecliptic, which is the zodiac signs among the constellations. And so this, this path of the moon, the moon is really the one who is influencing, but the moon itself is connected to the zodiac. And the particular aspect of the zodiac constellations that, that Maria Thun discovered is the connection to the elements, the four elements as they relate mm. through the zodiac. So it isn't the zodiac directly relating to the plants, but it's the moon's connection to the elemental aspect of the zodiac constellations that then is connected to the growth of plants. Okay. Does that make sense to you? A, a little bit. Um, it's an indirect... Um, a mercurial bridge. Yes, it's not. It's not a direct zodiac to plant, but it's the moon. And I've had two very wise, uh, older friends, both of whom have died, and they gave images for that. That the moon um, provides a kind of a gateway or opens a door to the constellation as it passes ahead of it or through it. And the other one is that it's kind of a lens mm -hmm. that focuses an aspect of the constellation towards the plant life. So it's, um, yeah, those are things that might help. And so uh, the moon is a lens. 
Can you uh, speak to the other planets and their impacts on the Earth and to human beings? No. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, the, maybe the relationship. I mean, I I personally have I I do make a study of these things, but not in a sort of astrological way, and no, definitely sure. not in uh, interpreting that in in real time. That's right. that's not a field that I've penetrated. So uh, are there any conditions or signs that are meaningful or impactful to you? How do you mean that? I'm not um, just, uh, so, well, like today, uh, what do we have? We have a, a lunar opposition to Venus or any, any condition that, that may stick out to you. Um, I, again, that's more in the, you're, I think you're kind of guiding it towards the human mm-hmm. connection. And that is, I, I really haven't made that a study. Sometimes I can look at a calendar month and I can say, Oh, that looks like that's going to be a challenging time. Um, and, but that doesn't, those challenges are, are for a purpose. They're right. not, as it were, bad. They're just, um, there's a, Rudolf Steiner gave a rendering of the Lord's Prayer. And he's, he, he said, the bread, the nourishment of the spirit, the bread of life, thou bestowest upon us in abundance in all the changing conditions of our lives. And so this, um, I see the the continual uh, movement of all the planets and their configurations as this nourishment of, of the spirit through the changing conditions of our lives. We just go through our lives, but meanwhile, the whole world is changing around us. And we that brings different aspects out. Sometimes it gives us a wind behind us and helps us forward. Other times it puts obstacles in our paths and we have to gain strength to overcome them. And all of that is is for a purpose. So I I don't right. prefer or dread any of the different conditions. Same. Ad- Adversity is a gift. Yeah. Um, is there anything else about the calendar that, or anything else about the subject that you uh, care to share that we haven't already discussed? I mean, sure. One of the things is that I, I put a lot of effort into the um, articles, finding authors and editing articles, and uh, helping that we don't just use the effects of the cosmos but that we we engage with them and also engage our mind in continually expanding new concepts about nature about our relation to agriculture i for me it's a it isn't just a tool but something that is a it's a lifelong path of of learning. So I try to find authors who can help um, enhance people's thought life 
And I saw on uh, the Stella Natura site that a percentage of the profits goes to the Camp Hill movement. And oh, uh, I was wondering, profits. all of the profits, awesome. Uh, oh, could I you tell us about the Camp Hill movement? Um, no, no, that goes all to the village that I live in. I, I live in a community that especially includes adults with developmental disabilities. Um, and our finances are, are arranged according to need. Um, and whatever we do, be it selling raw milk or cheese or the vegetables from the CSA or the mosaics from the mosaic workshop, all the different things that we do that make money, including the calendar, that all comes to the community and then it gets distributed according to need. Uh, can you tell us some, uh, maybe some of the history and uh, what, what its goals are? Ah, uh, so the Camp Hill community was founded in 1940 in Scotland by a medical doctor Carl Koenig and a group of students, young students who were studying the work of Rudolf Steiner with him in Vienna. But after the Nazis um, annexed Austria, Carl Koenig and all of the, that student group fled Austria because um, the Nazis persecuted anthroposophists as well as Jews, and they um, they were able to find one another and were give, given a, a house and land in northern Scotland to start their community. And they had already, before they left Vienna, uh, committed to trying to live the social ideals of Rudolf Steiner. And Carl Koenig was particularly a pediatrician and, uh, and also committed to working with children with special needs. So they brought those two uh, strivings together, the wanting to work with children and with social ideals uh, in their founding of this community in Scotland. And it then grew to be a worldwide community movement. So we have, I don't know, something like 11 Camp Hill places in North America, some in Canada. And I live in one that's been here since 1972, in November of 72 it was founded. And I came in the spring of 1973. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about it. I'm very enthusiastic about it. Obviously I've stayed a long time. Awesome. Well, um, as far as uh, moving on, I guess we could talk about uh, the Anthroposophical Society. I want to thank you for your invitation. I recently uh, received my membership certificate. I think I'm uh, member number 41,063. <laughs> um, so thank you very much. Um, and please remind me uh, the, the sections you're involved in. Well, I'm I'm a member of the School for Spiritual Science, which is a school that Rudolf Steiner founded 
simultaneously with the refounding of the Anthroposophical Society, and that puts me in the general Anthroposophical section, um, and then I'm co-leader of the agriculture section. So there are other professional sections, the medical section, the visual arts, natural science, um, performing arts, literary arts. Uh, maybe that's enough for now, but I, sure, anyway, sure. there are different professional sections, and, and I'm an active member of the agriculture section. Well, I'd like to forward the invitation to anyone who's listening to please consider joining the Anthroposophical Society and enjoying sh joining Sherry at, in the uh, agriculture section and otherwise. That's great. Yes, it's, it's important that we don't take the work of Rudolf Steiner for granted. It only stays alive if people keep it alive in their souls. And that means working together. It's not a solitary pursuit. Excellent. Um, well, uh, either the first or second time we spoke, you shared uh, a verse with me. I was hoping you might share it uh, with those who are listening. Yeah, this really is a verse that, that Rudolf Steiner gave. Um, and it... it I'll just give a little introduction to it, that it it has, it takes in the sweep of the evolution of human consciousness that in the ancient times, people didn't have to have an ephemeris to know what was going on in the universe. They could look up and they saw the spiritual realities and not just the little twinkling lights in the sky. And they were able to perceive the beings that have their homes among the stars. And those beings spoke to them. And we've lost that clairvoyant perception. And so it, it speaks to the, the turning around of that process. So I'll speak it. Stars spoke once to man. Their becoming silent is world destiny. To be aware of the silence can be pain for earthly man. But in the deepening silence ripens what man speaks to the stars. To be aware of the speaking can become strength for spirit man. So my understanding is that when we work with the calendar, we begin to speak to the stars. We make a response. And that, that, that's really the deeper impulse that I have in, in, making a planting calendar, which is so very practical, um, that it also is a way of human beings connecting mm -hmm. to the, the moon, the planets, and the stars. Well, thank you, Sherry. Uh, again, I'd like to um, recommend whoever may be interested uh, that they join the Anthroposophical Society, 
that they uh, visit StellaNatura.com and uh, consider purchasing uh, a Stella Natura calendar. And please also consider uh, joining the International Biodynamic Guild at biodynamicguild.org. Thank you again, Sherry. My pleasure again. Thank you for inviting me.